It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats. Tom Leach. Welcome in to our Monday edition of the Leach Report. Pretty sunny day. Glad to have you guys uh, on board with us. Big sports week coming up. We have our first major of the year in golf, the PGA Championship. Uh, we'll get started on Thursday. Uh, baseball looks like it has, uh, for the moment anyway, solidified uh, its situation and uh, should continue. NBA off to a good start in their bubble. And they've got a, uh, a big stop on the road to the Kentucky Derby this coming Saturday with the Travers up at Saratoga. So, uh, big, big week of sports, and isn't that nice to hear? Uh, coming up on the show today, we're going to chat with Ben Roberts from the Lexington Herald Leader. Uh, he does the Next Cats page, among other things. And we will uh, chat a little bit with Ben about a story uh, today that he has out at KentuckySports.com about. Uh, some key storylines as it pertains to the upcoming Kentucky basketball season and the ones that follow. And then Kyle Tucker from The Athletic joins us on Mondays, and he has a new story out at theathletic.com about what Kentucky's uh, rotation for basketball uh, may well look like this coming season. And uh, I think you guys will find uh, this very interesting, and uh, you can go ahead and and do the uh, required reading ahead of time, ahead of Kyle's interview right now at theathletic.com. You can uh, still time to subscribe before he joins the program. Uh, right now we'll get to the Wildcat news of the day to lead us off. And the, it was a, a newsy weekend as far as the coronavirus and college sports on a couple of fronts. Uh, Pac-12 players uh, in a uh, letter of the Players' Tribune uh, threatening a group of them not to play if the league doesn't uh, make some changes, uh, some related to health and safety, uh, some related to racial justice, and uh, some related to uh, financial concerns for athletes and talking about making cuts for coaches and administrators. So it is a, a wide-ranging list, um, and this is going to be um, – a new phase, I think, that college sports has moved into. The coronavirus has just, I think, accelerated a lot of uh, discussions that were already starting down this road with name, image, and likeness and uh, areas like that. So uh, it's it's way too soon to, to make any predictions, I think, on what college sports might look like five years from now. Uh, but um, it's hard to imagine that they're going to be just the same as they are now. And there was a uh, call between SEC players and league officials and some uh, medical personnel uh, involved with the uh, SEC that got leaked to the Washington Post. And just understandable concerns, I think, expressed by players um, that, you know, if you're in this situation, you're going you're to have a lot of questions. Um, I think one of the things that uh, – came out of most of the the coverage of this was uh, where the players were told that uh, they're not going to you know, schools aren't going to be able to prevent outbreaks um, some people may have been surprised by that I certainly wasn't I, I think that's uh, anytime you're getting people together I mean 
baseball, we're seeing it. I don't know that you can uh, prevent outbreaks. We'll see if the NBA can prevent them. So far, so good uh, with their bubble, but there's no way to put, obviously, college sports of any kind into a uh, into a bubble. College basketball's uh, NCAA college basketball official Dan Gavitt uh, was talking with Andy Katz, and he says they're planning on starting the season as scheduled on November 10th right now. He says he has a high level of confidence that the season will be played, but he also says that uh, they have talked about a September, sometime in September as being the timeline for when they'd have to make any changes. So while he says he's confident, they're also uh, having those discussions about what an alternative timeline might look like. If you're into rankings, a couple of interesting things. College Football News. Puts Kentucky in its preseason top 25 at number 25. And Rivals has Kentucky's offensive line ranked fourth in the nation behind Notre Dame, Tennessee, and Alabama. Uh, from the uh, NBA over the weekend, as they got started, got started on Thursday night with a couple of games, but really uh, ramp, ramped up on uh, Friday and, and beyond. I uh, watched a little bit of the uh, Miami-Denver game on Saturday, and Bam was really good. Bam had a bio. 22 points, 9 boards, 6 assists in that game. Just uh, really cool to see uh, how uh, much he has developed. Uh, De'Aaron Fox had 39 in a game against San Antonio on Friday night. Uh, Jay Gilgis-Alexander has had a couple of big games for OKC. So where Keldon Johnson got some praise from Coach Popovich at San Antonio for uh, Keldon's competitiveness. So happy to see that for Keldon. That uh, he's winning some some praise, solidifying himself there with the Spurs. Uh, Jamal Murray was sidelined to start back because of a hamstring issue. Links to the stories that we talk about, you can find them on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. When we come back, it's Ben Roberts from the Herald Leader on the Leach Report Radio Network. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can follow Tom on Twitter. It's at TomLeachKY. Quarter past the top of the hour, we welcome in Ben Roberts to the program on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at KentuckySports.com and in the Lexington Herald-Leader. And a new story out today at the site about some key storylines as it pertains to Kentucky basketball. Ben, and um, we'll start with the first one you bring up in the story. It's about Olivier Sard. Uh, you remain optimistic that he'll gain eligibility. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the prevailing thought over there seems to be at least optimism, if not confidence. And I, I just kind of looking at everything else that's gone on in the last few months with transfer waivers and I think cases that maybe in the past, uh, you know, might have been borderline or or, um, or uphill battles. Uh, it just seems like everything's getting granted uh, this offseason. And I know there seem to be a little bit more lenient, at least, with, with uh, some of these transfer waivers. And I, I think if you get to this point and you make the kid wait this long and then you turn it down, um, I, at any point if they had turned it down, I, I think there was going to be a, a major, major backlash, not just from inside Kentucky, but from from national people, too. Um, I know Dick Vitale seems to bring it up about every other day now. Uh, so, yeah, I think once, once they get to the end of this thing, he, he's going to be eligible. Have they turned down anybody? Not that I've seen, not nobody of any uh, profile at all that that I've seen, and then obviously there's cases of uh, uh, you know some of these are cases of like Johnny Jazang of moving back close to home that we kind of thought would be no brainers during uh, during COVID right now, but there's some other cases of, of 
guys moving laterally or guys moving even further away from from uh, where they're originally from to play, and it just seems like everybody's getting transfers. They're just kind of working on down the line and and getting the people when they get to them. Yeah, that was my uh, basis for optimism from the beginning. Is my thought that that the NCAA is already changing the policy; it just hadn't been enacted yet. <laughs> it kind of looks yeah, like that's I mean, the case. Yeah, Mark Emmert's even come out here recently and said he's in favor of that change that we we really thought was going to happen this past spring, where basically what people are calling the free transfer rule, where if you leave an ac- good academic standing, you can. You can play anywhere uh, the next season without sitting out. Um, I mean, and and it's you know I think it's telling when when Emmer comes out and he says you know I'm in favor of this. We're all expecting it to be passed during the next six seven months or so. So to rule against a guy who had the situation with his head coach getting you know all, all this stuff with with Olivier Sar that, that we've talked about it seems like to death for the last few months. Um, I, I just. <laughs> You know, the NCAA makes some wacky decisions, obviously, but that that would be one for the books, I feel like. Uh, ben, you write in your story today at KentuckySports.com about the, the small number of offers that John Calipari has given out so far. And um, obviously one would think this is uh, connected to the inability to get out and, and see players at things like the peach jam like he would have in the past and do uh, in-home visits or uh, you know visits at those events wherever where you get to know uh, players and their families a little better um, is that how uh, you think it continues that it'll be a, a small number of offers for Cal yeah I just from talking to people um, you know at various levels of college basketball there doesn't seem to be much optimism that that this uh, NCAA recruiting ban is going to be lifted anytime soon. Right now, it's only in effect through the end of this month, but they've been taking kind of a wait-and-see approach month to month before they make any announcements. But it, kind of the general consensus, to me at least, has been that people are expecting to not be out on the road recruiting for the rest of 2020, and, and then you're looking at when does it start in 2021. So... Yeah, for right now, I, we all know how meticulous Cal likes to be about watching kids play in person, meeting kids in person, meeting their families, getting them on campus so they know what Kentucky basketball is all about. I mean, he wants both sides to be very, very well informed before he says, hey, you have that offer, you can come play for Kentucky. Um, and they just weren't that far along in the process with very many kids in that 21 class um, just because they – they have their own schedule, and it's obviously worked in the past, and this was was a huge disruption to it. So, yeah, the bright side of that is that they are on, on some really, really good kids, some really talented players in 21 who they look to be maybe leading for. Two, it's not the best class depth-wise. This is not one of, the, one of the better classes we've seen in the last few years. And three, if that free transfer rule does pass in the spring, you're going to have – a lot of different options, both with that and with some kids reclassifying from 2022 that, that we think Kentucky is also in a, in a pretty good spot for. You uh, wrote last week about Peyton Watson going to UCLA and how a lot of these things that you're talking about played into that where, you know, Cal's just – and I think – I would think this makes sense is that, you know, you, you have, when you're going to have so much roster turnover and it's kind of a you know delicate – balancing act to make sure you you know if a guy's there for one year he's the kind of guy that fits your culture and understands it that uh if you can't get comfortable with that through the building of the relationship 
um, probably safe safest not to relax on your standards there. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is another unique year where I think you know I feel like we kind of say this every year that oh they should have more more players back next season than they did the year before. <laughs> but I, I think it really will be true after this coming season because I think you have a uh, several guys who. I just don't see where they go. Um, obviously, you got guys like 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 Brandon Boston Jr. and, and uh, Terrence Clark, who who are probably going to be lottery picks. Keon could clearly take that next step. You know, there might be a transfer or two. But even after all that, you got four or five, six guys who could be coming back uh, for another season at Kentucky. So you don't need a whole lot of numbers. And yeah, you want to see how some of these new guys are going to fit into that. You you want to make sure they are the right fit. Um, and I think they like where they're at with with uh, three or four kids who are ultimately going to be in that 21 class that, that they can get that number up to nine or ten and maybe only have to take a, a transfer to or even a you know a late bloomer from that 21 class and maybe they don't know a whole lot about now but if we do start playing basketball they get to see them maybe they get to go out on the road in march or april and, and do some last minute uh evals and and, and pick up somebody then we're chatting with Ben Roberts from the Lexington Herald Leader. We'll take a quick break and continue in just a moment here on the Leach Report Radio Network. It's the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. Coming up next, it's Kentucky Sports Radio with Matt Jones. Monday edition of the Leach Report, and we are chatting with Ben Roberts from the Lexington Herald-Leader at KentuckySports.com on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Our thoroughbred racing coverage, and Triple Crown coverage in particular, this year once again presented by Claiborne Farm, doing the usual unusually well for more than 100 years, and uh, Ben covers thoroughbred racing as well for the Herald-Leader, and we saw uh, Bob Baffert win another derby prep with um, the horse that was probably the the one that was not expected to win on Saturday out of Del Mar in the Shared Belief Stakes, 1,000 words, came back with a really nice buyer figure. I think the second highest buyer figure of the season for 1,000 words behind uh, Art Collector's 105 in the Bluegrass. Um, I don't know if you have a strong favorite at this point. I think we, unless something changes my mind this weekend, I think I think we saw the Derby winner on Saturday, but he wasn't 1,000 words. It was the horse that ran second, Honor AP, who's been my favorite for a while but how are you seeing it at this point yeah i mean i i still like uh tis the law who obviously won back in the belmont which seems forever ago i'm really intrigued by art collector uh, i started watching him earlier this year and obviously we saw what he did at the at the bluegrass stakes um and then yeah i, I think the the result at least out on the west coast this past weekend was a little surprising we i, I feel like thousand words was a horse we heard a lot about Several, several months ago, uh, you know, early, early in the year, um, kind of going into this, this prep season, uh, and then he kind of fizzled out of conversation, um, and, and Honor AP was obviously the, the big one to beat out there, so I, I think, I'm, I'm trying not to get too bogged down in it, because you never know what's going to happen once we actually get to the week of, it seems like, this year, so, uh, you know, I've got a couple favorites, but I'm going to wait till we get a, get a little closer to a, a set in stone, uh, twenty horse field, or however many we're going to have this year, uh, before I, I start handicapping too hard. We're inside of five weeks now, and uh, we have the Travers at Saratoga uh, this Saturday, where Tis the Law will be the big favorite, and uh, then on Sunday at Ellis Park, 
They run the Ellis Park Derby, which is a derby prep for the first time, and uh, that's going to be the next start for art collectors. So it's a big weekend on the the road to the derby. Let's get back to um, basketball side, uh, Ben. You were talking about the the twenty one classic Kentuckys. Uh, you you mentioned in your story today, um, thought to be the leader for two top five guys in that twenty one class, right? Yeah, Paulo Banchero and uh, Jaden Hardy, who I, I think if basketball is played this season, will both be in the conversation for number one overall player in that class. It's a very – I think you got a few really, really good players at the top, but I don't know that anybody's really differentiated themselves um, as that number one player. And I, you, Paolo has been mentioned in that conversation – for the last year or two, it seems like. But I think Jaden Hardy, just talking to other people and um, actually some people who make these rankings, they think he's – people kind of forget about him in that conversation. And he's a guy who, who might be the best scorer in high school basketball right now. Um, a kid I think Kentucky fans would absolutely love if he comes here because he's just that great scorer, shooter, um, that, that that just really, really captures people with imaginations, I think. But, yeah, I, I think with both of those guys – they are, I think, if it ended today, they, they'd be the favorite. Um, neither one is certainly a done deal. Paolo's one of his close friends, Kennedy Chandler, another UK target, looks like he's going to go to Tennessee. They've talked forever about possibly teaming up. That wouldn't be a surprise. Uh, he's, he's from Seattle. With all the uncertainty going on right now, it wouldn't be a surprise to see him stay at Washington. Duke obviously looms, as they always do for these big guys. And then with Jaden Hardy, I, I've just continued to hear G League might be an option for him, and that's something that if it is, you know, you you might not know until the spring what he decides there. And then every every school in the Pac-12, it seems like, is is on him too. So neither one's a done deal, but but I certainly like where Kentucky stands right now. And I mean, you're talking if you land both those, you're talking about two top five guys, which they really haven't done it in a in a while. And uh, still Sky Clark down there could, uh, and as you know, he's expected to move up, not maybe top five, but to move up when the new rankings come out. Yeah, yeah. Sky is, uh, he's, um, for the most part, has had a, has had a great summer. They haven't played a ton, but some of these events he's played in, he's looked really good and he's been working out with NBA guys or was before they, they went back to the bubble, um, down there in Nashville. So, He's the guy that I think, again, if there had been a spring and summer, a full spring and summer schedule, he's one that, if there had been a rankings update during that time, was going to move up several spots. Ben, um, got to run. Thank you much. All right. Yep, ben Roberts fine. from the Herald Leader. We'll be right back with Kyle Tucker. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and The Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. It's The Leach Report Radio Network as we roll into the second half of our Monday show. And we are hoping to land Kyle Tucker here any moment um, for our regular Monday discussion. Kyle has a, a new story out at TheAthletic.com. Uh, about the upcoming Kentucky basketball season and, in particular, what the rotation might look like for Kentucky. Um, and as, uh, well, Kyle Tucker joins us now, the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Um, interesting uh, read, Kyle. This uh, just uh, came out at uh, theathletic.com as you uh, uh, talked to folks around the program. And um, it is a lineup, if everybody's, 
able to go. That's obviously a reference to Olivier Saar, that he'd be starting, uh, you think, with Brooks and Boston and Clark and Askew. And uh, Askew is the one I think some people thought maybe that uh, Mintz might get the job because he was the vet. I have said from the beginning, I thought just Cal's MO has always been that he's, he's going to go with you know this. Uh, if he's able to land a, a really good point guard, he's going to give that guy the, the keys to the car to begin with, and that's what you're hearing as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that one's still up in the air. Look, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, they've really, they've really not seen you know a lot of these guys yet. But yeah, I, I think I think that you're right in terms of um, if he thinks that um, Devin Askew will be the guy at the end of the year. Um, then he's probably going to be the guy at the beginning of the year, um, and, and and then you do that knowing that you do have a safety net in a in a senior uh, grad transfer who's you know played seventy nine games, started seventy nine games, and uh, on a Big East team, and, and could come and kind of be the steady guy. But if you're looking for you know who who do we want to be our high impact point guard who really makes this thing hum, you know I think they hope that it's uh, Devin Askew, um, and just because he reclassified and he'll be the youngest guy on the team, uh, doesn't mean they won't give him that chance from day one. I mean, if it's just a dramatic, dramatic uh, gap between Mintz and him, then probably Mintz will be the guy. But yeah, I think they um, they'll give them both equal opportunity to compete for the job. But I do think the staff likes the idea of that that Mintz can play anywhere. I mean, he could he could. Uh, step in for Devin Askew at point guard, for uh, Terrence Clark on one wing, or B.J. Boston on the other, uh, and I think they'd feel great about it. And so that's a valuable thing to have as well. Um, but, yeah, I would say that, to me, that's really that's the only spot that's up for grabs. I know the coaches would like publicly say differently, um, but it's hard for me to believe that given what, just given what they have. I mean, Clark, Clark and Boston are starting. Uh, I'd be stunned if Saar isn't starting, and I really don't see anybody even capable of beating out um, Keon Brooks, certainly not for the day one uh, job. I think they're really high on him and the progress he's made. Um, and you just need, you know, this is such a new team. You need some stability, and I think you need that in the starting lineup. You think back to the 17-18 season, and I think going into the year, I think the, probably the conventional wisdom was Quade Green would be the point guard. And uh, you had this guy named Shea Gilgis-Alexander that you knew was a really good player, weren't sure exactly how he was going to fit. And then as it, uh, as it played out, they found out that the team was best with the ball in Shea's hands the most. And along those lines, not to say that this is where the, this is heading, but just that there's a, a guy that uh, you write in your story, and Terrence Clark, that they're finding has maybe a little more range to his game than some might have expected. Yeah, and, you know, like Shea, you know, 6'6", six, six, long guard, you know, considered a combo guard. Um, Terrence Clark's really been thought of as just a pure, you know, as a wing, uh, a small forward, really, um, shooting guard, I guess. Um not much of a, of a combo guard as a as a potential point guard, uh, but everything I've heard is he can really handle the ball, uh, and he could, you know, he could play some point guard, uh, and that does some really dynamic things to your team because then you've got a you know six seven guy with a seven foot wingspan, uh, which Shea Gilgis Alexander did, but this guy is a much more explosive athlete than uh, Shea was. Uh, Shea sort of kills you with 
angles and lengths and just fluidity um, being kind of smooth and crafty. Terrence Clark can jump over your head and dunk on you. Um, he is freaky athletic, and, and that's the thing I think that really stood out to me in sort of talking to people, uh, several people around the program in the last few weeks, is I guess I've had it in my head that uh, sort of B.J. Boston was going to be the guy, um, and I think he's going to be a big deal on that team. He's he's a terrific player, too. But Terrence Clark has apparently really opened some eyes already in the short time that he's been on campus just as you know a potentially elite guy. We, we talk about why it's important to get these top ten, top five caliber players that Clark and Boston are, and Kentucky wasn't really getting a lot of the last five years. I mean, this is why these guys are difference makers. And Clark kind of slid a little bit towards the end, but he was a top three, four player for a long time. Uh, and then Boston by the end was the higher ranked guy. But, you know, I don't know how much difference there is between the number four and number seven or whatever it was that Clark finished a player in the country. Um, but when you get a guy that's bouncy and explosive and almost impossible to keep in front of you, and then coaches start saying maybe he can handle the ball maybe he could play point guard um then you have all kinds of crazy options uh because they they're not short on wings they're you know i think they're the one question is is at the point guard position but if you can ever, at least even have it every now and then if you threw terrence clark at people i think it would be a real real curveball and i was watching a little bit of the uh, miami denver game saturday afternoon and they put up a graphic. I think Jamal Murray was out and put up a graphic about Denver's lineup. The smallest player was uh, six seven. Uh, I mean, from what you're saying, uh, this it sounds like it's going to be a, a team that uh, gives Cal uh, a good bit of versatility. What if you had a, a lineup where the, the smallest guy was Terrence Clark? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly do that. Um, you know, you could go Clark Boston and, and uh, Cam Fletcher or Dante Allen on the wing. Uh, I, I think, you know, it remains to be seen what Cam Fletcher will give them. But if he, I think, if he embraces the role of being the six 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 seven guy that is just an absolute lockdown defender, and you know, runs the court and finishes at the rim and and doesn't try to be something he's not, uh, he could really give them something. So yeah, you could you could you could end up in a scenario where you have uh, Terrence at the point and BJ at one wing. Uh, Cam Fletcher at the other, Keon Brooks uh, at the four, and and Saar at the five, and, and everybody is basically six seven, <laughs> six 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 seven, uh, or taller. All with huge wingspans. Most of those guys with really 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 good athleticism. Um, I mean, Keon Brooks is another guy who can jump out of the gym. Um, they they have some. They have some real questions about chemistry and fit and just how, you know, they're so far behind on the normal curve of, of when they'd be able to get in and learn and develop and grow as a team. Those are big questions. But I don't have any questions about just kind of raw talent and athleticism on this team. They're going to be, they're going to have some guys who, even if they fumble over the details, they're going to have moments every game where everybody kind of drops their jaw. Uh, and I think it's, you know, three or four guys who could do that. 
We're chatting with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com about uh, his new story that's up. If uh, you're a subscriber, you need to check that out. And if you're not, you need to subscribe so you can uh, about uh, what the rotation could look like for Kentucky this season. We'll take a break. Come right back to get into a couple other topics as well with Kyle here on the Leach Report Radio Network. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Chat with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com here on the Leach Report via the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. What's your take on uh, a, a newsy weekend as it re- pertained to player issues and the coronavirus from the SEC with uh, a leaked conference call and then uh, what came out of the Pac-12? Well, I mean, it's a it's a real <laughs> a real problem for uh, college athletics. Um, I think what we've seen over the last several months is um, players, athletes, um, beginning to recognize the power that they have, especially in football and uh, in some cases basketball. Um, but everybody knows that football is the big money maker, and when you know at Oklahoma State, when the star running back says we're not playing until this is addressed, it gets addressed, and when uh, that happens other places, um, things that have sort of um, sat idly by all of a sudden get addressed real fast. Kylan Hill um, down in Mississippi in the flag. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's an even, an even you know, more powerful example is when the star, you know, the SEC leading returning rusher comes out and says, I'm not playing until you take the flag down, uh, and the flag gets taken down. That, that really illustrates um, – the power that they have. And, and I think, you know, you're seeing it in pro sports, what the NBA is doing. Um, those players basically said, we're not going to come back and do this bubble unless you uh, allow us to continue the momentum of our uh, social justice movement. And, and guess what? The NBA did. And, and now you're seeing some very vivid uh, images uh, before and during all these games, you know, things on the back of the jersey, which are, are going to happen uh, now in college sports, uh, a lot of things are, are moving much faster um, than they normally would with all the uh, sort of bureaucracy and just sort of uh, iceberg pace of change in these major organizations um, because everyone has recognized that the players ultimately have the power. Um, you know, name, image, likeness. Uh, you know, when, when the bottom line gets uh, threatened, um, when there's when the players sort of stand up for themselves or or start to not just not come, well, we'll go play in the G League. <laughs> we'll go we'll go do something else. Um, that all of a sudden starts to move, and so when when players start to say maybe we're not comfortable, which was more the tone of the call of the SEC call, um, or we're not comfortable and we're not playing until you meet these demands, which is kind of the way it went in the Pac-12. That is a huge issue, uh, and I'm not sure, you know, can they really do enough to satisfy um, some of those fears? I don't know, uh, but I, I know that they're going to have to try, and they're going to bend over backwards to do it because the players have the power. And if they don't play, you don't have a product, and you don't have the uh, cash cow um, that it requires to keep this machine going. You can call it amateur athletics, but it ain't. I think we all know that now. Um, they need football 
these athletic departments to survive, the NCAA to survive. Um, they need basketball. They need the NCAA tournament to survive. And so if there ever is a, a full-blown player boycott, especially through a whole conference, Power 5 conference, um, then they're dead. So uh, they'll do everything they can, but I just wonder, can they do enough? I, I thought the questions that a lot of the athletes asked on the SEC call that uh, got leaked, I, they were very smart, thoughtful, and also not very simple to answer questions. And they left, they were, you could tell, they left a lot of those administrators and leaders um, kind of unable to answer, at least satisfactory, satisfactorily, I think. Um, I'm not sure they can so, answer them to anybody's, you right. know, to a, somebody's, nobody, they, they can't tell you you're going to be, there's no way they can make you 100% safe. Right. And, you know, I, I think that's, that may ultimately be sort of the, the rock and the hard place that gums up this mm-hmm. whole uh, situation. Because at the end of the day, a whole bunch of guys, a lot more than there are any of these pro leagues, we're talking 100 plus players on every Division One football team, um, and then all these other athletes and all these other sports. I mean, thousands and thousands are going to have to all agree to take a risk together. Um, will they do that? I don't know. Uh, it's and and the thing about it is it's it's a um, it's a difficult thing to work through. I mean, there's there's no easy answers because you know, as on one hand, the the players are going to be you know at at risk if they're even if they're not on the football field, they're going to be a risk in in the classroom, just in society, going to the grocery store. We all are right, and 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 I think that may be where ultimately where a lot of people land. It's like, look. Do you, are you planning to go back to college? Um, and if the answer is yes, on campus, then I'm not sure going and being on the football team is any more dangerous than just going and being in college. I think actually what is going to be the death of college football is when the rest of the college students come back. Yeah. Because once, you know, I think once that happens, it seems like everybody's been, you know, relatively, this has been relatively mitigated, certainly at Kentucky, with no students on campus, no other students on campus. But what happens when the flood of people come back? And, you know, you saw at Rutgers, they had a big house party and then, or frat party or whatever it was, and then you got a massive outbreak. I mean, that's, that's going to happen. It's college. Um, and so, yeah, but, but I, do, I do agree with you that, look, if you're going to come, if your plan was to come back and go to school uh, in the fall, then you're, you're at risk. And I'm not sure you're at more risk to play sports. That doesn't mean I say you should do it. I mean, if you don't feel safe, guys should sure. do it. And they're going to have their scholarships protected, and I think they will. Um, but uh, it's just going to, to me, it's going to be really interesting once the rubber meets the road. We know it's, it, the season is upon us. We're, we're, you know, you've got to make that decision. Is there going to be a huge flood? There's been, I think, a surprising number in the NFL that have opted out and has really caught that leak by surprise. And some guys are starting to do it. There's already a projected first-round pick at Virginia Tech um, who's opted out uh, of the season. As we get closer and it gets real that you're going to have to do this and take this risk, uh, are we going to see a flood of guys opt out? And how much is that going to affect, you know, you know, competition for championships? Uh, in about a minute here, you, another story you had at The Athletic was with uh, Isaiah Jackson and his family and why he was a, a little late to reporting, and it, had, it was not related to COVID-19, right? No, he had a, a sick grandmother. I think they she had a heart issue, and they were uh, kind of worried about where that was going to go, and I think Isaiah just didn't want to leave while that was up in the air. I think 
you know, probably partially because he didn't want to leave, and then if something happened and she got worse or uh, there was a funeral to attend, he didn't want to be coming back in and, um, you know, endangering anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he waited. Uh, his grandmother got better, uh, and then he came to campus. And I think what was encouraging for him and his family, and I think it should be for other people, is his story of what he encountered when he showed up, which was nothing. Nobody was there to greet him, no teammates, no coaches. Uh, you know, they were locked down. He had one masked graduate assistant let him in and a masked uh, a, a lady at the front desk of the Players Lodge um, that he interacted with, and that was it. That was the entire interaction. And he said, he, you know, as a dad, his father said that that made him feel very comfortable that everybody at Kentucky was really taking it seriously. Kyle Tucker joins us on Mondays from TheAthletic.com, and you can read the story we were just referencing and the one we were talking about earlier by subscribing to TheAthletic.com. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. We will be right back to wrap up this Monday edition of The Leach Report. It's the Monday edition of The Leach Report, and... No uh, birthdays to pass along today, so just a couple of other news items here. I see where Isaiah Joe has made the decision to come back for his junior season with the Arkansas Razorbacks. A player put up a bunch of points last season for the Hogs. Uh, Major League Baseball, former Wildcat Chris Russell has been called up by the Atlanta Braves. Um, I'm going to try to work today on uh, trying to get uh, Evan White on the show from the Mariners uh, as he is in his first major league season and off to a great start. And then there was a, a news item over the weekend about uh, Benny Snell Jr. apparently uh, showing some interest in trying to get involved with uh, Two Keys Tavern, a uh, UK campus institution, and it is uh, in some financial difficulties. So who knows? Maybe Benny Snell's going into the business world there. We'll uh, see how that one plays out. That's going to do it. We'll see you tomorrow with Larry Vaught and Freddie Baggard on the Leach Report Radio Network. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for Tom,